This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we will wrap up our study of John with Jesus restores Peter and Peter asks about John's future. Then on to Hebrews, in these days he's spoken by a son, Jesus and the angels, and how to guard against drifting away. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. For the remainder of this Thursday afternoon's broadcast, we are going to be going through listener email. Talk back at issuesetc.org and the Issues Etc. listener comment line 618-223-8382. First email comes from Christian in Oklahoma. He said, I have been and remain a staunch fan of Issues Etc. and all of your outstanding work. However, I take exception to what was recently stated in the episode with Chris Rosebro regarding spiritual warfare from February 28th. At the beginning of the episode, it was clearly said that baptized Christians cannot be possessed by demons. That statement does not square with Lutheran teaching. Demonic possession in Christians is extremely rare, but it is possible. Please see CFW Walther, Pastoral Theology, Robert Bennett's Book Afraid, Theodore Tappert Luther, Letters of Spiritual Counsel, pages 1846, etc. Blessings in our Lord and Savior. Keep up the excellent work. I use issues, etc. all the time for continuing ed for our congregation. Thanks for listening in Oklahoma, Christian. This is actually a, a debated subject. I happen to agree with Chris, and I think the two sides of the debate are uh, Christians. Chris Rosebow's argument is the Holy Spirit does not take up residence in a house with demons. The two do not cannot coexist together in the same person. And I think that is something that is supported in an oblique way by the Lutheran confessions. When they talk about loss of faith, they talk about how the Holy spirit can be, and faith can be driven out. Well, what's left, what other spirits are there left? They're only the demonic spirit. So I, I concur with Chris on this. That argument I think is sound enough. There have been others. And that is, he's named a few, not, not any small potatoes are CFW Walther and, uh, the others who have written about this. So this has been something that's debated and Christians of goodwill can disagree about this. I, I think the argument that Christians can be possessed by the devil lacks biblical evidence. And I think that it also lacks any word in the confessions. Again, my argument from the confessions is kind of oblique there. And I think that Chris's argument that they cannot be possessed actually has the biblical merit behind it. Tom writes, I'm an avid listener, and 99% of my listening time is both enjoyable and informative. However, I was disappointed when I heard the interview with Terry Mattingly regarding media coverage of coronavirus. It seems to me Mr. Mattingly strayed far from the topic and began to preach and proselytize sharing poignant stories from his chosen denomination. His oration devolved from there to the kind of uninformed fear-mongering that is so harmful to our culture. For example, quote, Mattingly said they are saying you can catch the virus while in a line at a movie theater, end quote. I don't think this was issues, etc.'s finest moment, 
but 99% is great. Thanks for the feedback, Tom. Well, I think the reason Terry was telling stories from his own experience in orthodoxy is because the subject of the conversation was an orthodox priest that was actually part of the news coverage that we were we were talking about then. So I think that's why he was talking about that. With regard to, I don't think Terry intended to fearmonger at all. I, knowing the man, that's that's not the kind of person that he is in order to, you know, stir up controversy or anything like that. He's really, really a very conscientious journalist. I am not an expert on coronavirus by any stretch of the imagination, but my understanding is that you can catch it by standing in line with people because it's airborne. I, I understand that it doesn't survive long on surfaces. Most viruses don't, but it is an airborne virus. And, you know, ask the expert. I'm not one of them. So I don't think that Terry was wrong there or fear-mongering. Actually, Terry was writing about a, a priest in, remember, in Wichita in 1918, right. Father Nicola Yanni. Right. It's an Orthodox priest who, if I, he was like an itinerant priest who would, one of these circuit riders who would go out, caught the, it was in the Spanish flu outbreak in 1918 and 19, went out, ministered to people, caught the flu himself and died the same day. And that was the story he was telling. So that's the... That's just a fact of history. It was his syndicated column on the topic for his syndicated on religion column. Right. This comes from Brian. Good question. He says, I have a question that was asked me, and I don't know how to answer it. Is it objectively moral or immoral for human beings to slaughter children, rip open pregnant women, or own slaves? I had trouble trying to answer because on the surface, those things objectively wrong. But on the other hand, God has repeatedly commanded those things in the Old Testament. Any help you can provide me with would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. And God bless concludes Brian. I don't believe that God ever commands slavery or any of those things. He does command what's called in the Old Testament, the ban, which is their way of it's total war against the Canaanites. He doesn't command it in every case, but he does command it in the case of the conquest of the land. And this presents a conundrum for many reading the Old Testament. There is even a book, and if my memory serves me, it's written by a man named Guthrie called The Problem of War in the Old Testament, and he deals with it very well, I think, answering the question, you know, why does God command him, the Israelites, to totally wipe out the people who are occupying the land, his answer in a nutshell is these are not political enemies. These are God's personal enemies. They are idol worshipers. And in the Old Testament, that Old Testament Israel is a theocracy. Even when there's a king, it is a theocracy, a a true, genuine, the only theocracy that has ever existed in the, the civil realm. And God is king. God goes to war. God destroys his enemies. Is that an easy pill to swallow? No, but that's in fact what the Old Testament teaches. Nicole, great idea. In visiting with some friends with kids in the 7 to 12 age range, we were thinking that it would be amazing to have an issues, etc. for kids segment, regularly inspired by questions about theology from kids. It could be a short explanation directed to kids from a Lutheran worldview. Example questions from my nine-year-old. Why shouldn't I use OMG or Oh My Gosh when talking? Why can't kids take communion? Why do we stand at certain times in the church service? Why can't girls be pastors? Thanks for the excellent suggestion and for listening, Nicole. Well, let's do that. And in fact, we invite 
uh, those questions either via email, talkback at issuesetc.org. Parents can type it for you and send it for you. Or you can always, with mom and dad's help, you can always call the issues, et cetera, comment line with any of those questions that you have, 618-223-8382. Yeah, since it's children, it'd be much better. If it was the kids asking the questions. Yeah, this is Brian. I'm nine years old. Mm -hmm. I live in... Wisconsin. Wisconsin. I love the Packers. And I have a question. So, 618-223-8382. We should probably announce... That the 2020 issues, et cetera, making the case conference is sold out. And it, it, it's uh, not just sold out. We do have a waiting list. If you want to be on the waiting list, you can contact Lynn here at Lynn at issuesetc.org. Lynn, L-Y-N-N, at issuesetc.org. She will put you on the waiting list. That's three months in advance of the conference, completely sold out with a waiting list. In regards to the conference, Caleb writes, I hate to contribute to mass hysteria over the coronavirus, not to diminish any legitimate concern, and this is not meant to contribute to it. However, are there any thoughts about how this pandemic might impact the 2020 Making the Case conference? Is it too early to tell? Too, Caleb. too early to tell, Caleb. We don't, the conference is in June. It's three months off, so we don't know what, we'll, what the situation will be then. It's very difficult to say. We will keep our listeners and the conference attendees informed about any change of plans. At this point, the conference is going on June 12th and 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. As I said before, it is full up, but you want to be on that waiting list in case there are cancellations, just email Lynn, lynn at issuesetc.org. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc., The Simply Classical curriculum for special needs moves at my child's pace and gives her exactly what she needs. So writes Amber, a homeschooling mother who has joined thousands in homes and schools, teaching from this uniquely Christian classical approach to special education. Teach students with autism, learning disabilities, or Down syndrome based on ability level rather than chronological age. Use promo code LPR20 today at classicalspecialneeds.com, classicalspecialneeds.com. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. receive little or no seminary education. 
Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. More on the coronavirus from Matt. I know you've addressed concerns about coronavirus and church practice from a media standpoint, but I was wondering if you might also have a guest on to talk about these concerns from a pastoral slash theological perspective. For example, our elders slash pastor just announced that they are suspending use of the common cup and the Lord's Supper in lieu of individual cups, which were already in use. I understand offering the individual cups, but not the decision to abstain from offering the common cup at all. I would love to hear you interview a pastor about this new coronavirus pandemic reality and how pastors could be shepherding their frightened flocks during this event. Thanks for the suggestion and thanks for listening, Matt. We did talk with uh, Pastor Dan Torkelson earlier today about some general pastoral concerns regarding anxiety and fear in the face of the coronavirus spread. Now to the issue of the common cup. I don't think it would be wise for a congregation to entirely cease using the common cup. Just say it still be offered, but if you do not want to use it, then don't use it. Let the conscience of the individual communicant remain in place there. With regard to individual cups, I would point out that those little individual cups get handled by other people a lot more than the common cup does. They get handled by a lot of different people, too, when they're being put into the trays and and uh, filled up. So if, if you're concerned somehow you have about uh, transmission of a virus there, uh, the argument that works, quote unquote, against the common cup also works against the individual cups because they're hand, handled. Now, your sacristan or your uh, altar guild may put on gloves or something like that when they handle the individual cups, but they do get loaded into the trays by hand and they do get filled by hand as well. So, we're going to have, we will have somebody on to talk about this, also about some of the history of how perhaps Lutherans might have handled that particular issue when there are other virus outbreaks. Hi, I just listened to the interview with Pastor Wolf Mueller on First Thessalonians. I have a question, and it jarred me, so I'm going to ask it. Both Pastor Wolf Mueller and Pastor Wilkin referred to the book of Thessalonians and Thessalonia and kept going back and forth with Thessalonica and the Thessalonican. And I just wondered what the difference was because I just kept being jarred with them hopping back and forth all the time. Can you explain where each one's coming from and... Obviously, they're both right, but I I don't understand why one is used and then the other. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. I wasn't even aware that we were doing that, going back between Thessalonians, Thessalonians. The the name of the town is Thessalonica. That's the actual name of the town to which Paul is directing his letter. And that makes the residents of that particular town 
Thessalonians. That's how it's in the Greek. They're actually called to the Thessalonians with the K in there. It now that's been translated as Thessalonians, which is just another way of saying Thessalonians. It's that little ending is Thessalonians is like Colossians because the town is Colossae or Philippians. The town is Philippi. They put the little I A. And S at the end to say the residents of that town or of that region. Same thing with Galatians and the Corinthians. The city is called Corinth. They're called Corinthians. So that's why we were kind of going back and forth. I'm pretty sure Brian probably wasn't aware of that switcheroo too. But we're really just talking about the same thing. When we talk about the Thessalonians or the Thessalonians, we're talking about the same group of people. It's just a different way of saying it. And it, I, it is all kind of confused by the fact that the book is commonly known as Thessalonians. Joyce lives in Sykeston, Missouri, and she has two excellent questions. What is the proper method to dispose of a Bible that is beyond repair? And two, is there a place to recycle Bibles that are in good repair, but have been replaced with a different translation, etc.? Thanks for the questions, Joyce. I'm sure there is. You can, you know, there's always goodwill and things like that. But to actually dispose of a Bible that's falling apart, I have one of those sitting on my desk right now. It's kind of a cheap paperback Bible that I use here on the air so I can write in it and it's really truly fallen apart. I think we should probably afford a copy of the scriptures as much dignity in its disposal as we do say the American flag, or maybe a better parallel would be the elements of the Lord's supper if they're not going to be consumed. So traditionally those things are either burned or buried. And I'm talking here about not only the elements, but also the American flag. So if you look at kind of flag regulations, the preferable way of disposing of American flag when it's no longer suitable for display is to reverently burn it all the way to ashes. And that's, I think, a good way to dispose of a Bible. It can also be buried, and again, kind of reverently buried and they, I think they recommend marking its place or something like that. They have, again, ceremonies for this. But when it comes to a copy of the Holy Scriptures, I think conscience being a good guide here, we want to afford it the reverence that it is due rather than simply tossing it in the trash. It doesn't take much trouble to go out and burn it or to bury it. Hello, Todd, and hello, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I appreciate your service. So uh, last week, or I think it was this week, uh, you guys had a show where you were talking about Fertix modalism. I think, uh, and the guest was uh, Chris Roseborough. And I thought it was a great show, but I have a question as far as this this whole issue. I wanted to know why someone like Fertix or TD Jakes would do what they do. Uh, what is like if you can if you can tell me why? What is the motivating factor? Because I'll just I'll just put it like this. Guys like T.D. Jakes or Benny Hinn, people that are all about the prosperity gospel, you can make, you know, a f- you can make a fair assumption or a fair guess as to, you know, you can say, well, maybe they are promoting this type of gospel or false teaching because of greed. Uh, you know, uh, they they, they want to have uh, the money and the fame, the notoriety. They want to have jets. They want to be able to fly and have a very prosperous life, so to speak. So you can understand the motivation behind that type of preaching. When it comes to, like, Pope Francis, for example, preaching universalism, that, you know, even atheists uh, will go to heaven or apostates will go to heaven. 
Well, you can make a fair assumption that you can say he has this type of gospel or, or teaching because he wants to be nice and he wants to, he doesn't want to have any arguments or any polemics within his teaching. And you can say the same about you know a different things that John Smith with uh, preaching polygamy. Maybe he was just a you know philanderer or womanizer and whatnot. Wanted to have all the women in this church and stuff like that. And so I think about guys like Fertig. He came out of SBCs. In, in fact, he's still on the, on the his church is still on the roster of, of the SBC. And he's a pretty smart guy. I, I would assume that he knows that this is a heresy. And so the question is like, what is the end game? What is he gaining by preaching this kind of stuff? I don't think he's ignorant of what he's doing. It just makes me wonder what is what is the point? Is it just to be cute? Does it add any value to your preaching, or it impacts the audience in some type of way? I, I don't understand. So if you can answer that question for me, uh, either one, Todd or Jeff, I would appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking my call, and have a great day. Blessings. Now, thank you for your question, too. Uh, I don't know what is in uh, Stephen Furtick's heart, but I think I could probably take a guess that what has attracted him to modalism and probably others to modalism is that the the average person is really confounded by the scriptural doctrine of the Trinity. I think they probably believe believe that it's not that big of a deal anyway. I mean, he should know better, but they believe it's not that big of a deal since nobody understands it. Why don't we just make it, preach it in a form that makes it easier for them to understand? And that would be modalism, just to say, well, there's really just one God, but that God kind of appears in various guises or appears in various forms, but and can kind of switch back and forth between the two. And then people will look at that false teaching and they'll say, well, I guess that seems to make sense. They, they don't bother to check it against the actual scriptural evidence, but they say that seems to make more sense than that pesky trinity that they're always trying to foist on us. And I think perhaps just a doctrinal minimalism might be at work here, where Fertig might have come to the conclusion that T.D. Jakes is right and the Trinity isn't worth bothering with. And so modalism is kind of your default position there, because in order to be at least sound like a Christian preacher, he still has to talk about the persons of the Trinity in some sense or other. And this allows him to do that without, you know, without confusing people with that pesky Trinity doctrine anymore. And as I said before, in that kind of view of doctrinal minimalism, it doesn't really matter anyway. But Christians are never called to be doctrinal minimalists ever once in Holy Scripture, teaching them to observe everything whatsoever I have commanded you. One of the things he has commanded us and taught us is the doctrine of the Trinity. Is it difficult to teach? Well, of course it is. Is it difficult to understand? Yes, it is. Uh, I would point out that the Athanasian Creed doesn't attempt to command us to understand it, but to worship the Trinity. Friday on Issues Etc. We'll continue our series on the Lutheran Confessions, discussing the preface and the primary rule, norm, and of the solid declaration of the Formula of Concord with Pastor Paul McCain. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hey, Todd. 
What have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. The Holy Trinity addresses three important things for the reader. Dr. Carl Beckwith talking about his book in the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic series, The Holy Trinity. It explains the difficulties we face in confessing the Trinity in our world today. It shows how Scripture carefully and decisively presents the Trinity, and it rehearses the sound pattern of words used by the Church to clarify and defend the witness of Scripture. Learn more about the Holy Trinity at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com.